Hi, I'm your host, Joelle Alexandria, and this is A Future For Us, where I conduct audio documentaries, interviews, and stories as it pertains to us in our modern world. Check out our Instagram, A Future For Us, and for inquiries, email afutureforus99 at gmail.com. If you want to get to know me a little more, follow my public account at joelle.a.alexandria, J-O-E-L-L-E, and my Twitter at wjoelle. Today's episode is a very special one with special guest, documentarian, and producer Maggie Reed. We will be reviewing her work with the CBC on the documentary Generation Botox, in which Reed takes a look at some of the hard truths that come with a society that normalizes plastic surgery. In part two of this episode, we will talk about whether feminism has a place in the uptick of plastic surgery, if social media is to blame, and body positivity versus body neutrality. Clips of the feature documentary Generation Botox are included in this episode. Welcome to part two. My question to everyone is how are we fixing the culture? Mm -hmm. What are we doing to try and make this less important? What are we doing so nobody has to, you know, suffer through their beauty being the only thing that matters and that being their only currency? Because guess what? If that's our only currency, we're all buying into our own doom because we're not going to be beautiful forever and that we're Mm -hmm. not going to be young forever and we're not going to be right. And like, so if that's always the currency, youth and beauty, we're buying into our own doom. And I think we should remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely agree. And it reminds me of a lot of statements where, or I read a book called The Invisible Woman. And I'm I'm blinking on who it's by. I'll probably edit it in later. The name of the book is called Calling Invisible Women, a novel by Jean Ray. Very good book. But it's about, okay, it's kind of, it's not, real but it's a historical fiction about the 1980s and a bunch of women start turning invisible because they have a mix of antidepressants and cosmetic surgery and these two things combined make them literally invisible but it also talks about how there's no difference because these women are over the age of 50 and over the age of 50, women start feeling invisible. So this is kind of where they take from real life, where a lot of people, or women especially, say that the older they get, the more invisible they feel to society. Like, nobody looks at them on the street. Nobody smiles at them. Nobody offers them human human decency or any social currency because they're older. And I guess people don't like that idea of getting old. So maybe we should start with that. If you see an older person, look at them, acknowledge them. Don't ignore them just because you don't think that they exist. 100%. Like, I think, ultimately, that's that's one of the big ways that we could challenge it is by just valuing people who are older and not thinking that just because they're not, like, 20 that they have some somehow have no use or value to society and that's like a big thing that's beyond beauty right Mm -hmm. it's also part of the way our society is structured to value people based on their economic output if you're an older person and you're retired for example you're no longer economically viable in this society in the same way you're not contributing you're not working um and so you're just basically deemed to not be a useful person in society and i think if we're trying to make society better we need to detach value from 
from economics, <laughs> like full stop. <laughs> and that relates to beauty. It relates to our work. Uh, it relates to our culture. And, you know, I think we need to separate those things if we want to actually have a better and more just society, because again, we're all buying into our own doom if that's the way that we're thinking and that's the way that we're operating. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's hard to judge how people look at us as well. So we are really just have to start within ourselves. And we were talking about the lie of social media and how we don't even recognize the truth unless we get mm -hmm. off social media and actually see people in real life. But this reminds me of the case. And I know the Kardashians are a big example. I don't want to dump on their image or anything like that but they are a really prevalent example of how social media or how plastic surgery has influenced a whole generation of people through social media because they are one of the most biggest influencers of our time so back in april chloe kardashian posted a photo of herself that was that had no makeup, no filter. It was a regular photo of herself, but it turns out it was an accident because her assistant was doing social media stuff and posting for her, but she posted a picture that wasn't photoshopped, that didn't have any filters on it, that, well, it did have a color filter on it, but it didn't have any cosmetic filters. It wasn't taken in a very good light. It was just regular sunlight in a regular photo with her smiling. And the... Chloe was contemplating threatening to sue because she didn't approve the image. And a lot of people were saying, oh my gosh, what's wrong with the image? What's wrong with it? I actually found the image too. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not, it's not that bad. Wait, let me put it in the zoom just so you can see. I assumed it was completely scrubbed from the internet. <laughs> I No, yeah, I thought it was too, but when I was researching it for this podcast, I actually found it. And basically, the photo was put up by mistake, and her the lawyers of the team working to, working to remove the photo from the internet were talking about how this was... This was not approved. This is within the right of the copyright owner not wanting the image to be published, it should be taken <laughs> down. When I say taken down, she was pushing to get it taken down from other media sites who took the picture and ran with it, even though she deleted it from her Instagram. And they basically took it and ran with it because it was a rare picture of her without all these filters, and she looked like a quote-unquote normal person or a normal woman. Even mm -hmm. though... It's just her. So people are saying, oh, is she that in insecure? And I don't really... The thing is, does she even have a case, though? Because if you're seeing this as defamation or defaming someone based on what they want to look like versus how they actually look, right? how are you defaming them because of how they actually look? Okay, so which... Okay, I guess it's the photo on the left here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... She just looks like a, like she looks good. I don't really understand. Um, yeah. But so so the issue here is whether she should have been able to take it down. Yeah. I mean, sure. If you could, if you want to talk about copyright, sure. Yeah, there's probably a case for taking it down. If you want to talk about copyright, I think the bigger issue for me is that the Kardashians and many other let's say Kardashian adjacent people 
who do this all the time. They only post very select images and they're very controlling about what images are put out on the internet of themselves. Um, you know, acting like it's literal violence when a picture of them without filters is posted, when literally you're using um, an unrealistic standard, you're using filters, you're using Photoshop you're, you, or fa Facetune, um, and Khloe Kardashian also Facetunes her baby. So let's just, let's put that aside for a second. Let's put that aside for a second. But let's talk about the fact that these people are using these unrealistic pictures, where, which nobody actually looks like that in the real world, to sell products to young women. So aside from copyright, why is it such violence for there to be a picture of your actual body out on the internet to show people that like, oh, you just, yeah, you have pores or like you have some, you know, maybe imperfections on your skin like everybody else. Uh, why is that such a big deal and why would this person be a victim for that? I think is the bigger question because you are literally using an unrealistic standard of beauty to sell products to young women. And I think we should be talking about that rather than, okay, the copyright claim, sure, take it down. But I think what this did is it, it, it kind of, it was a kind of a crack in the structure, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, usually I get to control every image of myself that comes out. And now a picture has come out that actually shows that I don't look like a filtered anime character mm -hmm. and I'm now upset because I want that to be my you know image that I put out to the world definitely and that image is very toxic and harmful to especially young women yeah and I guess reviewing this case she definitely does have a case because she was paying someone to keep up her image but the actual mm -mm. the actual controversy is the image in question so I think right it's very interesting how they use a whole bunch of face tuning and very much very much saying oh I don't really have to try to do it have to try to look like this but you should and you should do it by buying my products you know like, remember <laughs> when um or a couple of years ago when or I think 2015-2016 when Kylie Jenner first got her lip injections and she said, oh, no, I didn't get anything done. It's just my new lip kit or something like that. And <laughs> how she was, Yeah, and how she was doing that to promote it. And back in 2015, I was probably in ninth grade. And when I saw her, her lips, I mean, I wasn't really keeping up like that. But when I saw her lips get, get plumper, I was like, oh, I didn't know lip gloss could do that. I was kind of feeding into that as well because I just didn't know that it wasn't supposed to do that. Like, lips don't do that. And there's nothing wrong with just saying, oh, yes, I did get it done and buy my lip kit. But it was, oh, no, I didn't get it done. But you can look like this with this. So the definitely the commodification of beauty and how people want beautiful things. I don't think we'll ever get to a society where we don't want beautiful things, but it's just basically how we interact with beauty. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think and I think we should be especially suspect when people are not being open about these things, If you know, especially if they're hailing that they're empowering in some way. But also it's like so. And I think the Kardashians are open about some of the procedures that they get. I don't think they're open about all of them. But if they're getting all of these procedures and they're still face tuning their faces and bodies, that should tell us something about what chasing the beauty ideal is like. 
It's never ending. It's a never ending ladder. It never stops. You never achieve beauty. You never feel good about yourself because even with all of these procedures and all the money in the world, the Kardashians are still face tuning their faces and so, and their whole bodies. And that should signal something to us. <laughs> it, it at least does to me about the fact that, you know, this is not something you ever attain and you might want to get on that ladder, but maybe there are other things you can focus on <laughs> and those might lead you to better, you know, satisfaction or happiness or, you know, sense of worth and, you know, sense of self. Yeah. And speaking of sense of self and how you really want to portray your image, the relationship between Botox and feminism is interesting because as we were talking about before, the individual versus social structures, but now it's not just the individual, it's the individual woman because mm -hmm. these, these procedures are more targeted towards women because as we were saying, over 90% of Botox procedures are done on women. Yeah. Over 90% of uh, Botox procedures, just cosmetic procedures in general, are done on women. And this is because... You know, we have this dominant image of a feminine, ideal feminine body that is young, thin, toned with flawless and wrinkle-free skin. And this is, you know, a very unattainable and elusive ideal. Very few women can meet these norms and no women can meet these norms across her lifespan. I also have this really sort of like paradoxical state of post-feminism right now. Women have broken through unprecedented legal and political and cultural obstacles. But at the same time, our beauty and our bodies continue to be presented as our most important possessions. In Dana's book, she says, quote, to put it bluntly, being hot is what women's liberation looks like. So yeah. what is the relationship between Botox and feminism? Because people interpret it different ways. People can say, oh, only a feminist would be anti-plastic surgery because we should love ourselves. Or only a feminist would be pro because we have choices on what we want to do with our bodies and we deserve to be beautiful. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. I don't think cosmetic surgery is feminist. Can you engage in it and be a feminist? I think yes. Those are different things. <laughs> Saying, accepting that, you know, these unrealistic beauty standards, again, this never ending ladder of self optimization we're supposed to, you know, just jump on, this ever expanding beauty standard, you know, the ever normalization of more extreme beauty practices that cost a lot of money, uh, the ever acceptance that we're not good enough the way that we are, there's always something to make us better, there's always something to make us more uh, optimized for capitalistic society. Uh, that's not feminist. And I don't think we need to call it feminist. I think the big controversy here comes around to judging individuals versus not judging individuals. I cannot judge, if you're someone who wants to get cosmetic surgery, I can perfectly say, I'm not going to judge you. Um, I don't think there's really any point in judging individuals because again, we haven't changed the culture. But to accept the culture wholeheartedly and to act as though we're not making decisions affected by the culture, we should interrogate that. And I think interrogating that is not judging an individual. It's having a conversation about cultural uh, influence, about social influence, and trying to deconstruct the normalization of 
very toxic and you know problematic practices because you don't go to seek cosmetic surgery because you feel good about yourself you go to seek it because you feel like there's a lack you have anxiety about aging or not fitting into the beauty standard or you feel like you're better going to you know succeed in the culture if you get these things done and that comes from a place of feeling like you are not good enough and that women you know, even though women are getting more, more equality in other areas of life, your beauty and your body is still the most important thing about you. That's not feminist to me. Saying that women's beauty and bodies are the most important thing about them, well, that basically means that we've decided that women have value for a certain amount of time and then their value just declines and goodbye, you're basically useless to society. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't accept that. I don't accept that as feminist. Uh, as a feminist practice. Again, I think you can be a feminist that understands that you're affected by society this way and you still decide to engage. I think you could still be a feminist. I'm not saying that you're not a feminist if you engage in cosmetic surgery, but the practice itself is not feminist, mm -hmm. I would argue. Yeah, and when we also talk about feminism, a lot of the time it's tied to body positivity but also at the same time, that is kind of construed as something that it wasn't meant to be. So in the beginning, body positivity was kind of taken over by another movement. The online body positivity movement seems like a move in the right direction. But as with any movement, there's also been criticism. So my name is Sarah Nicole, a.k.a. The Bird Papaya. Um, I have a platform on Instagram and a podcast called Papaya Podcast. Bird Papaya is my absolute favorite, and she is representing pores and stretch marks and age and just, like, sell everything about beauty that should be celebrated. Went to The Bird's Papaya's Instagram account. She's considered a real leader in the movement. Scrolling through her feed, I couldn't help but notice that while there's a lot of normalization of stretch marks and cellulite, she also filters her photos. She's white, blonde, tanned, thin, and smooth. And upon further research, I found out that she's had Botox and lip inductions. At the end of the day, if we're going to use the term body positive, I believe the most body positive thing you can do is have authority over your body. Honor each other's choices. Be okay with her doing something for her body than you're doing for your body. We're allowed to live different lives. What's not supposed to happen is shaming each other for the differences in what our choices are. Body positivity as a form of resistance has been co-opted by the very forces it set out to challenge. So now women who conform to the beauty ideal seem to rise to the top. In this context, body positivity isn't necessarily about rejecting cosmetic surgery or beauty culture. It's about body acceptance and never criticizing what other women do. And now we see it used to sell things to the general population. And at the same time, how can you sell things by being positive, body positive? I don't know, but they, they find a way, definitely. This is brand where it got a lot of flack for showing a model who was relatively, who was a normal body shape and who was definitely the standard of beauty, showing mm -hmm. her um, sitting up and then bending over to show like her roles. And then everybody was like, whoa, like, yes, praising body positivity. But then some people were like, well, but it's, she's still the standard of beauty. She's still very beautiful. It's just that she's bending over. So at what point do we say, oh, is this really body positivity? Or is it still just a ploy to sell things? 
I, I mean, you know me, right? I like to I like to always go back to you know who's trying to sell me something <laughs> or look back, look to the economic factors. What I will say is that I think, as I understand it, the body positivity movement is supposed to be focused on you know feeling good about your body no matter what it looks like this idea that like everybody can be beautiful however as you mentioned it's very much been co-opted so uh the body positivity movement uh was actually developed like in its instantiation by fat black women it's been completely co-opted and as we see commodified on instagram by people who like essentially thin white women so people who probably definitely have body image issues. It's not to say that these people are just complete grifters. Like I think all women, because we all live in the society, we're all taught to think that our bodies are not good enough. That's part, that's the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. Is that nobody makes the grade, but some people make the grade more than others in that they conform to whatever is acceptable by society. And so, you know, when you have women who are now influencers who essentially, you know, they meet the beauty ideal by most standards. Yeah, they might have rolls when they're, you know, hanging over. They might have some stretch marks or some cellulite, but ultimately don't face systemic oppression based on the ways that their bodies look. Uh, when you have people like that essentially capitalizing um, off of this movement and not just capitalizing by, you know, putting those messages out, which can be very good messages, obviously, but capitalizing in terms of using their platform to sell women a bunch of products that they also don't need the cognitive dissonance there is just kind of unreal like mm -hmm. you know love yourself love your body please buy this anti-aging skin cream or like use my discount code for botox it's like this is very confusing messaging and i'm <laughs> i'm not actually sure that this is body positivity yeah. and so you know ha i think everybody deserves to feel positive about their body um you know, it's not to say that people, not everybody has issues, but some people actually face a lot more oppression than others. And when you have people that don't face that impression that are centering themselves in the movement and profiting the most off of this movement, uh, I, I think we should be skeptical of that. And, you know, what kind of meaning is actually coming out of this movement? Are we actually normalizing bodies that have been historically categorically marginalized? Or are we making women who kind of already fit the beauty ideal feel better about a few of their flaws? Mm -hmm. And that's a real question. It's like an uncomfortable question that people don't always want. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, women support women. It's like, yeah, women support women. But there are people who face a lot more marginalization than others. And we should be lifting those people up and we should be giving them a platform, uh, you know, kind of uh, promoting their voices and not centering ourselves as like the most marginalized people. <laughs> uh, that's that's my perspective anyway. Yeah, I agree. And I'm just remembering the brand now. It's called Gymshark and they were just showing off the workout gear that she had on. So I think that's very, very true as well that some people have some people have had it harder than others. That doesn't mean that everybody should be bought everybody shouldn't be bossy positive positive and only certain people should but at the same time when right. you're trying to sell people things and trying to profit off of it it's not it's not really doing what it should be doing and i think it we should th look at another body movement called body neutrality and i recently mm -hmm. just learned about it probably two months ago and there's this youtuber who really was just talking about how she doesn't see her body as anything other than a vessel to carry herself through life. That doesn't mean she hates herself. That doesn't mean that she tries to avoid her body or tries to 
have an, any unhealthy habits, whether it's ranging from the extreme of hating it or to the extreme of being obsessed with it. But it's more of she recognizes that this is the body that she has and she makes sure that she nourishes it. She takes care of herself mentally, physically, emotionally, just so that she can live the best life possible in the body that she has. So basically she has no strong opinions about her body. And I think that was an interesting concept. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting concept because the body positivity movement is still emphasizing in contrast to body neutrality is still emphasizing beauty, right? It's still centering beauty. It's just saying, let's expand what's considered beautiful. And then everyone can try, try to achieve beauty within the standards that are achievable based on how they look. Mm -hmm. Right. But we should still be, you know, pursuing beauty standards within a range. Um, and every, but everybody's beautiful. What the body neutrality movement is, it's, it's decentering beauty. It's saying beauty's not the most important thing about me. I don't exist, you know, just to be uh, beautiful. Uh, my only value or my only worth is not my beauty. I don't exist just to be, you know, looked at and admired. And I think that that's a much more powerful message. Um, I think it's a much more, by de-emphasizing beauty, it's, this, it's kind of the idea that, you know, maybe you don't have to love your body all the time. You don't have to feel beautiful all the time because it's really not the most important thing about you. So you don't need to feel bad if you feel like you're not looking good today or, you know, <laughs> you're feeling like not maybe very beautiful today. Like that's okay because it's not the most important thing about you. So de-emphasizing beauty overall, I think just makes it less important in our lives. It, you know, moves us away from it being our dominant value and i do think that that's where we should be going as a society as a culture if we want to make beauty matter less and we want to you know not just continue to normalize all of these kind of extreme beauty practices and and all of like the mental i, I think this also takes up so much brain space in women's minds and people don't talk about that a lot like the amount of time it takes you thinking about how you're going to look the amount of time it takes to get ready, like all of the brain space it takes up, wouldn't it be better to not have to care about this all the time for this not to take up so much of our brain space so we could focus on other things? And wouldn't we be happier? <laughs> wouldn't we feel better about ourselves as a result? Because our worth is not tied to this thing that we already know is finite, even if we do attain it in some form. Um, and yeah, so I think that the body neutrality movement to me sounds I mean like kind of the way to go <laughs> yeah it's just very hard to imagine a society where we live like that because then we, there wouldn't be anything to profit off of there wouldn't be anything to kind of reward ourselves with for like doing a good job being like how <laughs> being beautiful does it's like oh yes good job being beautiful you get all these social perks but if you're not that standard is kind of like, oh you're less than but now everybody's this well we'll never get to a place where everybody's the same but i guess yeah. it's something to aspire to i think it's something to aspire to and i think the way that you can do that because it seems very overwhelming changing the culture like all of this stuff sounds very overwhelming so how do you actually do it well you try to do it within your peer group Research has shown that the best way you can de-emphasize beauty is within your social groups, right? By within your friend group, 
not valuing your friends for the way that they look, not make, not centering that as the most important thing about your friendship or what you value in your friends and trying to de-emphasize that in your peer group. That's, I think that's really the only way that people can move forward to try and de-emphasize beauty is by doing that in their interpersonal relationships and trying to really make a conscious effort to do so. Because just saying we're going to do that culturally is very difficult. I think it, you know, but I will say that people are challenging this stuff more and more. I, I think that I've seen a, a huge wave on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram of people criticizing, uh, you know, some of the profiteering off of some of these movements, really criticizing these toxic beauty standards. And this is happening way more than it was five years ago like way, way more than it was 10 years ago. So as much as there's reason to be cynical and think we're never going to get rid of this, and yeah, we're never going to get rid of it. But at the same time, uh, we can de-emphasize it. And I think that's already happening to some degree. And I think we should be optimistic and be pushing forward to do so because I think it will ultimately create a more equal society because having beauty as a center of our society does not make for equality. <laughs> it mm -hmm. doesn't make for equality and I don't think it makes for happiness. And I don't think it makes for good community. <laughs> uh, and so there's a whole but whole host of reasons why we should be de-emphasizing it. And I think, I think that we should be pursuing that as a goal. Yeah. So as we wrap up this episode, what's one thing you definitely want people to take away from this? I think I want people to take away that... Definitely, you shouldn't judge individuals who engage, but I think you should really try and think about the influences that are impacting the way that you operate and think in the world and really, really try to understand all of the plethora of influences, advertisements, influencers that are trying to make you think in a certain way and adopt a certain worldview and really try to criticize those and try to understand what their motives are and try to think for yourself. <laughs> try to understand whether chasing beauty standards is going to lead you to a fulfilling life, you know, whether that's going to lead you to happiness. And if the answer is no, <laughs> I highly recommend trying to de-emphasize that. Yeah, I think people that's often... For... Oh, thank you for so much for that. I think people also forget <laughs> that like, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live a certain way that you see everybody living everybody everybody flocking towards even though it's so instinctual because we're we're designed that way ever since the beginning of when we had to create social groups to survive we flock to that this is what we want to do we want to be a part of the crowd we want to fit in and we just want to do things mm -hmm. that make our lives easier but at the end totally and i guess yeah, yeah. at the end yeah. of the day you have to well, ask is it worth it <laughs> Is it worth it? And like, who gets to create the dictates of what's important in society? Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that people need to to understand is that often the people creating the dictates are people who are already in power that want, have a great motive to profit or capitalize off of certain social conditions. And, you know, once you kind of deconstruct that and realize that that doesn't actually work well for everybody, well, maybe you know, we should be trying to create some other value that was not created in such a top-down way. And, you know, w wouldn't we be happier? Wouldn't we have a more just society? Absolutely. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it, Maggie. Thank you so much.
So I'm currently working on a documentary about the history of racism in Canada, particularly the hidden history of blackface and minstrelsy shows in Canada. It's called Triggered. And I'm also working on an investigative podcast with Rogers Frequency Network called Making March. Nice. When will they be released? So, yeah, so the documentary, there's no uh, release date yet, but for the podcast, it's going to be released in November. Ooh, I'm excited. I love crime documentaries. I've been really into it since <laughs> quarantine. I don't know why. My taste oh, has changed nice. so much. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, they're always fun. Like, they're so, I don't know. People are, are obsessed with them. They're just very good. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Talks like these are really what motivate me to keep this conversation going because nothing is truly black and white in this society. If you have strong opinions, feel free to comment on our Instagram page. And if you like what you hear, follow us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen. This conversation is very truly complex and there's no real right or wrong answer. And especially as a woman, it's important to know that we have the power to make our own choices and judging other women isn't going to help the situation at all. So it's our bodies. We can choose what we do with them. And just remember the why factor in terms of what you plan on pursuing and whether it might be worth it or not. But hey, who am I? Just trying to create a future for us, you know? Until next time, stay sane out there.